stage. And um, in your case, so we're going to be focusing on startup uh, pitching. Um, keep in mind that you will be speaking to people who are not familiar with jargon. Um, so if you can explain the ideas, um, you know, as if you were explaining this to someone who's yep. new to business, essentially. Uh, so let's just dive right in. Um, first, sure. tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, Eric Huberman. I'm the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, which is basically a uh, marketing agency with about 180 full-time employees located all around the United States. And with that, we also have a venture fund where we invest money into mostly marketing technology companies, different software companies that we use for the marketing we do, as well as sometimes different consumer brands, different e-commerce companies. And then we also have a financing arm called Hawk Capital that we actually give loans to uh, businesses to grow their marketing. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. It's no um, absolutely, I consider that to be necessary work because a lot of entrepreneurs, they get their business up and going, up and running. And yes, every business at every phase in their business needs money, but mm -hmm. that is a um, hurdle that most of that prevents most businesses from being successful. So yeah. you are doing very important work. <laughs> Thank you. Like, no problem. One thing that hinders people um, in terms of successfully fundraising is their lack of knowledge um, about the space, right? Mm -hmm. How to even qualify their business. Um, when is a good time to reach out to funding? What is that process yeah. like? So do you mind sharing um, a little bit about that? How should a company start to operate to even yeah. position themselves to prepare to be funded? Yeah. So there's a lot of different, from my experience and everything I'm going to say now is generalized. There's exceptions to everything I'm going to say, but in general, if you're just starting out, they, a lot of times they call it a friends and family round or an angel round when you first fundraise. And I would say from my experience and my thesis is as a founder and a founding team, in le with rare, with rare exception, but exception, you need to be able to get your business to twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month in revenue before you should really be fundraising. Now that I say that, with there, if you're young and you haven't put a little money away to help start your business, maybe you need some quick startup capital to like order that first round of products you're going to sell, and that's where friends and family come in, like people that know you that want to support you that's the money you're going to raise. So the idea of going and pitching venture capitalists and big investors, when you haven't launched your company yet and you haven't actually got any numbers, they don't know you. And the problem is at that stage, the person's betting on you. They're not betting on any, they, there's nothing else to show. And so it's really hard to raise that kind of money. And also it's a bad indicator because if you can't, without some random investor, get your business off the ground, the, the harsh truth is you might not be the person to start that business if you don't have that capability. Um, wow. Yeah, and I know it's a little harsh, but it's just, and it, it also, frankly, there's a lot of adverse effects to that. If you're not, if you're at an, in, in, a, in a, your network doesn't create as much opportunity. If you were born in a poor part of, you know, the country or city, et cetera, this is part of the like sort of opportunity gap that's talked about a lot in the US where, you know, there, if you weren't, if you don't have those friends and family that can write you a check for $10,000 to help you get your business off the ground, it puts you at a disadvantage. And so it's harder, 
But again, I would say if you're an entrepreneur, try to focus on businesses that you can start without that outside help the best you can. And you're going to have a higher chance of success. The amount of success is different. Meaning like, you know, if you, yeah, if you can go raise tens of millions of dollars to launch your business, you probably, you're aiming for something a little higher, but it's at least you'll be somewhat of a success. If you can build a business, you're not relying on other people's money to build. And that's what we look for. So when we invest, that kind of threshold is $20,000 a month in revenue. We want to know that you can get there. You can get enough customers to spend money with you on a consistent basis that we're not giving you money to prove whether this is going to work or not. We're giving you money to grow it. And that's what a lot of venture capitalists want to see is they want to be growth equity, as they put it. They want to be money that uh, is going to help you grow, not help you sustain or help you get off the ground. And that, you know, again, angel investors and friends and family, they may help you get off the ground, but most venture capitalists will not. They want to invest once you're already going to help accelerate it. And that's the idea there. And the idea with VCs that are smart is they want to invest in companies that frankly don't need their money, but by taking their money, they can move faster. That's the goal there. And so that's this, and I'm just going to go through the stages so it's clear. And then you get, you know, you start a lot of companies raise, you know, enough to get through the next year and a half. And then the next year and a half, and they keep raising these bigger and bigger rounds of funding to burn more capital, to move faster as they hit different hurdles in the business to show that they have traction. Um, they've hit different stages. And then usually you get to a stage where you're, you know, you're get working with bigger and bigger funds that write bigger and bigger checks, assuming things are going well and private equity, which is, more ownership driven, uh, meaning like venture capital usually takes, let's say 10, 20% of your business. They're trying, they don't want to be the majority owner. They want you to run your business, not them. Private equity, the difference there is they're actually going to buy the business. They're probably going to take control and own your business. And a lot of times people do that as a way, because they, let's say you've built your business for 10 years, five years, whatever it is, and you want to take some money and put it in your pocket and get a real lump sum of money to have a partner that's going to help you scale it by buying other companies or help you go public. That's where private equity a lot of times comes in. And then again, the, the, the end exit most of the time is either continuing to trade it to private equity, selling to what's called a strategic, which means a company that frankly buys you because you're strategic to their mission. So when like Salesforce just bought Slack, that would be a good example of a strategic purchase. And then the last piece is going public. Like you go and sell your company to the public market, which is basically you selling your company to individuals on the trade online or trade, sorry, on the stock market. So that's, yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Because I think that's one area that most people are very uneducated about. What is the right way to do it? Who qualifies to go public? What, what is like some steps? Yeah. And I'm not, a, I don't want to tout myself as an expert in that. I have not taken a company public, but the, the idea there, I mean, at the end of the day with businesses, there's sort of, so to speak, what's called a multiple on your business, meaning so, so many times your profit or your revenue, your company's valued at, which means when I say that many times, like if your company is valued at 10 times profit, that means depending on how you're growing, let's say you're not growing at all, that's 10 years worth of income that your company is going to make is how valuable your business is. So at some point, the investors, the owner, the team, it becomes a conversation of, do I want to wait to earn that profit over the next 10 years or just take that money now pass off the investment to someone else that feels good about the growth they're going to get from it. And I can go use this money for other things. And for a lot of entrepreneurs, 
especially ones that raise money, realize there's, and there's also an option not to raise money. Like my company with 180 employees, we haven't raised a dime. We've taken no outside capital. And so the profit goes in mine and my business partner's pocket, or we keep it in the business. We usually keep it in the business to be clear. But if you're an, if you have investors, that profit stays in the business to keep growing it, which means sometimes as a founder, you're five, six, seven, 10 years into your business and you're still making just a normal paycheck. Even if, if you built a billion dollar company, you st- still might be working for two, $300,000 a year, which is great money. Don't get me wrong. But if you've built a billion dollar company, you're making $300,000 a year, it's disappointing. And so when you go public or sell, it's an opportunity to get what's called liquidity but basically get that cash out of the business that's all locked up in it and actually get to sit on that money. And so basically the public markets are what founders and what investors look at is an opportunity for liquidity. They're gonna take all the money that they've invested in this company and hopefully sell it with a good return to the people that are trading on the public market. And the way to do that is to show that there's a lot of uh, future op- uh future opportunity in your stock. So if I invest in you, then I'm going to make money myself. But the, the part of the difference there is the expectation because of the risk in investing in startups is you're going to get, you know, you, people are trying to get 10 times their money in five years. That's kind of the threshold of what people are aiming for. But you invest in a public market, you're just trying to beat inflation or the market. You're trying to get 5% a year versus I think, let's see, 10X in five years is what, uh, 200% a year. So like the difference in expectation of returns, depending on the type of investor are different. And it's also the way people invest is usually a small piece of my money in those risky investments that have high returns and most of my money in more conservative investments. That's how people think. So there's different types of money out there for different types of investments. But once you go public, the chances of your company growing a hundred percent a year is slim to none. And you know, usually that's when people go public and get raise that kind of money, vice versa. You, you do lose control. You now have to report quarterly. It's a whole different game of running a business, but rolling back to like how to pitch your company for funding, it really is showing, you know, why you're the one to do it, especially early on. People are betting on you more than anything. Like, why are you the person that's going to be like, you have, what's your unfair advantage that makes this like, I f- frankly ha- have a fear of missing out on investing in you because you're obviously going to be successful at this. So how do you articulate that? Why are you the person? Why is there a huge opportunity? What proof do you have that gives me comfort that this isn't just a good idea, but actually, again, that's where traction comes in. And, um, and yeah, that, that's really it. And then like, personally, we only invest in things we can be strategic to as well. We want to be able to help the company, whether and not just with marketing, but that's why we like marketing technology, because we can go, we have about 550 companies we run marketing for. If I invest in a marketing software, I can go bring them a bunch of customers overnight. So it's things like that that we look for. But that's frankly unique to us. A lot of venture companies are just looking for those things. Like, do you have a good idea? Is there a good market for it? Or do you have any traction? Are you the right person to run this? And that they go from there. That's amazing. I mean, you dropped so many gems. I can't wait to like review this and process, but you are obviously such an expert and extremely skilled in this. Um, so for your, for your company, you focus primarily on tech businesses. Yes. Yeah. And technology that we can use marketing technology mainly. Marketing technology. That's amazing. Um, okay. Now, once a company gets to that threshold of, um, producing 
on average $20,000 and is that profit or revenue? Uh, revenue. Yeah. Revenue. It's, yeah. We just want to see that in sales to see that, uh, to see that he, um, or see that the company is actually, you know, got customers profit. We're not expecting yet at that stage. Got it. Okay. Um, how to go, what are the next steps other than having your financials together, having great accounting, uh, what are some other steps to identifying the right VCs and uh, preparing to present to one? Yeah, I mean, I would look at VCs that are looking at similar companies that are not competitive because then they know what they're looking at. And also look at, look at comp- people that can invest, it can be strategic. Like it's similar to getting a job where when you're going through that process, it feels like I'll just take what I can get, but you'll regret it if you just take what you can get. Like look for money that can help you look for like we have an investment that we made in a jewelry company that De Beers came in with us, which has been a godsend because when De Beers invests in a jewelry company, they can open a lot of doors and do a lot of things for that company. And so, you know, it's looking for investors that actually can add value is a really big part and don't get stuck on just getting the money in unless you have to listen, everybody has their own story, but if you can be, you know, picky about it, look for investors that can add value because they're going to be more apt to invest anyways, if they feel like they can work with you and be a good partner. And I think that's really important is if you can get money that comes with a good strategic partner, obviously that's worth way more than just a check. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. like I said, then, go ahead. I'd say there's, there's also, you have to have a deck, some sort of PowerPoint, there's so many examples on how to do that. I wouldn't stress that. Just Google it. There's probably the top 10 PowerPoints that raised money. You can probably find Ubers or something. And, it, and you know, it really is just tell your story really concisely because people have ADD. And, you know, like we're a small fund. We see a hundred and something deals a month. Like you, you're going to get so many of these that you just have to stand out, but also make it really easy to understand because nobody's going to take a lot of time with it. Of Like, why do I want to put my money with you? Definitely just straightforward as possible, right? Um, what are some of your, this is kind of off topic away from startup pitching, but what are some of your favorite business resources um, as far as, you know, either just learning more about business, product market, market fit, how to, you know, just strengthen your skills as a business person? How to, how to put that in a deck? Is that what you're saying? No, not the deck. Um, oh. I know that there are plenty of resources online for yeah. and, books, and I know some people that create decks. Um, they kind of charge a lot, but yeah. um, <laughs> this is just in general, like, because you seem like such an amazing uh, business person and you mentor so many businesses, I wanted to know what are some of your favorite go-to resources. Oh, got it. You know, just improving yourself as a business person overall. Yeah. You know, it's network. I'm going to be honest. Like my, I, my business partner yesterday just gave me uh, a little crap for not reading enough. And he's like, I'm going to assign my business partner. like, I'm going to assign you a book a month so that you, cause he reads voraciously and it's like, all right, fine. Like I actually am not like I, my time is so slammed that I actually more get my value out of having a really good network that I can talk to mentors and, I, and not mentors in the traditional sense. I actually think it's really, when I hear people say my mentor, I actually, it, it turns me off a little bit because it, to me, it means you've pigeonholed yourself to one person's success, one person's ideas, 
one person's way of doing things, which means you inherit their good and bad values. And if you, and, and I also know that, and I, this is what my podcast is about, hence the mic is about like different people's origin stories and how they got to success. And what I've realized is everyone's different. So taking that advice from one person is a mistake, but surrounding yourself with many people that have taken different paths and hearing all about what they're doing and running things by. And I also try to surround myself with someone that I think is really good at thinking through sales, someone that's really good at operations, someone that's really good at different things and multiple people in those categories that I know who I'd call about different aspects of my business. And that's where I get a lot of resources are the other people in the trenches because the business landscape changes so fast now, by the time you read a book, generally, there's a lot that's, it's already passe versus just being in the trenches with other people and going, here's what I did. It didn't work. What are you doing? And sharing with other founders is really helpful. So honestly, networking groups and like CEO groups have been the most valuable part. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, thank you. And yeah. what's your podcast called, by the way? I would love Hawk Talk. It's H-A-W-K-E Talk. And just trying to interview people that I admire about how they got where they're going. I'm interviewing Rachel Zoe today, if you're familiar with her. No way. Oh my yeah. God. A lot of really cool people. Um, the yeah. Karen Nortman, who is the now the chairman and co-founder of uh, the new LA professional women's soccer team with, uh, she founded it with Natalie Portman. Um, and then, yeah, just the list is fun. Chris Birch, who was married to Tori Birch and started Tori Birch. Um, and a lot of really impressive people. It's so that that's been just a fun passion project for me because it's inter, it's similar to how I get mentorship. It's interviewing people about like how did you become successful? How did you get? And it's not just business people. It's also you know NFL athletes, NBA players. Baron Davis, if you know who he was, an NBA all two time NBA All Star. Uh, different people like that. That's like how do you become this? And so I've spent a lot of time figuring that out. That's amazing. I mean, that says so much about your heart and your desire to give back. I know you promised, like, I don't want to take more of your time. I, I <laughs> talk to you probably because I feel like there's so much I, I can learn from you, and I am going to binge watch all of your podcasts. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I don't know if you have a video element to it, but I'm definitely yeah. going to check it out and share it with our, you know, community of uh, entrepreneurs. But in general, before we wrap up, if there's anything you want to share, um, any way that our audience could connect with you and work with you potentially. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on every social media channel at or slash Eric Huberman. So that should be pretty easy to find intentionally. Um, and yeah, I'd say, you know, even, you know, this is about fundraising, but start with the idea of, do you need to fundraise? Cause I think that's become the like sexy thing to do and know that like raising money is taking a loan. Like you don't celebrate getting a mortgage. Well, maybe you do. It's it's cool. You celebrate getting the house. Don't get me wrong, but you don't celebrate the mortgage, the payment that you have to make. And like when you take out, when you raise money, uh, thankfully my dad's an entrepreneur. And even from a young age, he used to tell me that raising money is expensive, meaning what you owe back to them is obviously supposed to be a lot more than what they gave you. That's their goal. As I said, the goal of a VC is to 10 X their money. Like they want to make 200% a year on their money. Think about that as an interest rate. If you didn't give, take their money and give them that piece of your company, you would make that 10 X so that if you can avoid it and still build a great business, I, you know, I, you know, the company dollar shave club. No. So they're a really big e-commerce company. One of they, you know, built it from six years later, sold for a billion dollars. But the founders sold so much of it that funny enough, like they're, they're like a massive success in the U S like e-commerce, like dollar shave club scene is like a huge success. 
And because he had to sell so much of his company to grow that fast, even though my company has not grown nearly that fast, but because I haven't sold any of it, I have the same amount of equity in my company that he had in his company. Meaning like my value of my company, for me, the amount of money, if I sold my company today, I would make the same amount as the founder of Dollar Shave Club, which is again, the icon of success in the industry. And that's because he had to sell so much of it to get there where I haven't had to sell anything. So, you know, the, even though the total outcome, like the business would not sell for the same amount, my personal take home would be the same exact thing. So it becomes like, yeah, if that's what you're going for, you could go that. But what he did also was hyper risky because right before, right before he sold, he was just about out of money. So if he hadn't sold at that point, like the deal fell through, the company would have been in real trouble. Whereas we've been able to, you know, very methodically grow our business without getting anywhere close to trouble for the same amount of time. And so our chances of failure were a lot lower because we did this on our own versus him. And like, if he had burned through the money and not raised more, it'd been done and our outcome's the same. And that's a good example of an outcome. Most companies fail when they raise money. So that's thinking about it. Like if you can be more methodical about growing your business and do it yourself, it's, it's a better way if you can. There's plenty of businesses that need to raise money, but it's a nice way to do it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, thank you so much. I mean, again, I have so many more questions, but uh, we unfortunately had issues in the beginning, so I don't want to take more of your time. Um, in case where I do have one situation, in cases where you have to bring on a staff, obviously, to continue to grow your business, you need people. What are your thoughts around offering um, equity as, and, and you know, incentivizing employees through equity? Yeah, I don't think it does much. We haven't done much of it. I mean, if you're going to sell the company, if you're raising money, when you that's the other thing. If you raise money, they expect you to sell in five to seven years at max. You know, like they're expected to turn that. So it's, um, so if yeah, if you're raising money, uh, I, you're going to expect to sell, which is where you can actually incentivize that you know, transparently, like we're going to sell in a few years anyway. So you might as well use that as a little bit of a carrot. Cause like, then it's aligned. If you're not like my business, it doesn't mean anything. Cause like that equity, if you're not selling your business doesn't really come to fruition. So it really just depends. I think just like anything, like you shouldn't be using a cookie cutter approach to build your business. You should be thinking through these things. So it just depends. Got it. Eric, you're amazing. I'm so grateful and appreciative. Like, I appreciate you so much. No, thank you for having me. um, Let us know if you ever have some more time, but I I thank you. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you as well. Talk soon. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye.